Okay, hold on. I'm going back in time okay. to the you whole thing. start over. Yeah. I am going to do that. Just do that. Just do it. I just it. am. It's just that you went to go pee and I just read it and I was like, aces, that was so good. And now aces. <laughs> People don't say that enough I anymore. Know. Aces. We'll bring it back. Okay. Okay, Love hold it. on. I have to get my like <clears throat> very good tone back. Do, re, mi, va, so. <laughs> Hi, I'm Laura. And I'm Danielle. Welcome back to Not Another Momcast. Welcome back. Tonight, we want to talk about something that we keep mentioning in other episodes that, truthfully, feels like such a big topic to cover, grief, specifically grieving while parenting. Now, we both have our own personal experiences with loss and grief, but we aren't quite ready to tackle that on air, mostly because we're both not prepared to cry through an entire episode. That being said, it's easy to connect your own experiences to those you read about, and so I'm sure we will drop little pieces of our struggles as we discuss. We also wanted to take a second to say that loss and grief are very emotionally charged topics because of our own connections to them. So please know that we are sensitive to that and do what you need to take care of yourself as best you can. This episode just might not be for everyone, but hopefully others out there will be able to find some comfort in knowing that you're not alone in this process. But before we bum you all out, let's get into boom and bust. Laura? Thank you, Danielle. That was a wonderful kickoff for this topic, which I am actually very excited to get into. And I will... Okay, so I'm going to start with my boom. My boom is that... So I was telling you earlier, I subbed today at school and we were outside at like the halfway point in the day, which some kids get picked up for. So we were out on the playground and I see a a father approaching the gate to the playground and he looks like he's scanning for a kid, right? Like he's definitely here to pick up a kid. And I'm trying to figure out if I recognize him because some of them I do know. And sure enough, he does look super familiar, but... The thing about it is he looks exactly like this dad of this family that moved back to Brazil this summer. So like, he's not here picking up his kids, right? His, they, they live in Brazil. That can't be the case. So I'm staring at him. I'm glaring at him, honestly, at this <laughs> yeah. point. Like, who, why do you look like that guy? Who are you? And he's glaring at me. <laughs> like he stopped scanning and locked eyes on me. And as he gets closer to the fence, he goes, what are you doing here? And I realized that he is, in fact the dad that I thought he was. Not in Brazil. (laughs) Not in Brazil. Here in my country at my school, (laughs) standing at this fence. And I'm like, what are you doing here? (laughs) And it turns out they're on spring break because Brazil, opposite hemisphere. That didn't even click for me until I was Mm -hmm. retelling this story to Chris earlier. I was like, "Spring, it's fall for us. Liar, liar, (laughs) liar. No, 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 no. It's totally a trippy mm-hmm. problem with the everything under the equator is in like the opposite season that we are, but you don't think about that ever. So anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> All of that can get cut <laughs> because the point is that they are here visiting and obviously neither of us expected to see each other because he's aware that I left at the end of the school year, right? In fact, his daughter was pretty upset about it, but she was upset in general because they were going back to Brazil and she was really, really nervous about that. She was nervous about feeling like she was starting over because she was that tender age of nine, almost 10, right? You're leaving the lower elementary years and going to the upper elementary years. And they had only been in the country for about a year and a half. They came just to get out of the pandemic situation in Brazil and landed with us because they had some friends that attended our school. I fell in love with that family. They're a wonderful family. And I love, love, love the little girl. And we got pretty close. And I know she was struggling towards the end of the year when she knew that she would have to say goodbye to her friends and go so far away. And I took a lot of time with her, like 
mm-hmm. working through those emotions. And I shared with her that I was scared because I knew that I was about to make this big change. And that's that's hard. It's scary. It's hard to start over. And that's okay. That it's okay to be scared. And we were both just going to push through because we both are stronger than we think and made to do great things. And just like, we just were like going to get through it together. Right. But I haven't seen her since the school year ended. So here her dad is and he sees me and he wells up with tears and he's like, Oh, come on. He's like, Oh my God, I didn't bring her because she's going to visit tomorrow. Cause the class that I was formerly in, she was formerly in they're on a field trip today. So she was going to just visit another day. He's like, I didn't bring her, but I'm going to run home and get her because she needs to see you. She'd be so happy to see you. And I want her to tell you about what's going on for her in Brazil and her new school, because it is completely because of the influence that you had on her. And I, I've heard enough. I'm like, stop. (laughs) You're going to make me weep on the playground. What the hell is wrong with you? You monster. He's like, I'm going to start crying too. I'm like, okay, we're done. And he's like, I'm going to go get her. I'll be back in 25 minutes. Is that okay? I'm like, of course I'll stay here for the rest of the day for this interaction right now. So he comes back super quickly, comes knocks on the door to get me and I go outside and I get to see her and I just catch up with her. And she's just so beautiful and big and confident and she ran for student council in her classroom. I knew she was like the mayor. Yeah and she's the leader in the room and I was like of course you are you've always been a leader and it was just like oh it was so good for a teacher's heart like that's what you do this shit for you know like so 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 many hard days so many so little pay such long hours so many not pleasant parental interactions over the years. And then those ones though, like they make it all worth the while. Bless his heart for actually telling you. I know. Because people don't tell you. I know. I know. So if you're a teacher out there, I'll be the first one to tell you right now, what you're doing is making a difference. And if you're a parent out there and you have ever had a teacher in your life or your kid's life that made a difference, don't be afraid to tell them because that's why any of yeah. them do that job is for that feeling. So like, so feel true. free. Fill up that cup. Do you have a bust? I do. I have a bust and it is directly tied to this episode because I was blindsided by a wave of grief about my dad. Just yesterday? Was that yesterday? I don't know. Time is a blur. Two days ago. It was this week. It was within this week that I was working and having a really busy, really productive, honestly, a pretty good day. And I went down to the garage to do my workout. And it was a good workout. And I started off on really good tempo and put on a fun playlist. And I, I don't even know what it is that triggered it. <clears throat> but I all of a sudden couldn't catch my breath. And like my eyes were stinging. And it was just it was just this very heavy realization, if you will, that that my dad is in the situation that he's in. And that even though he's still here and he's alive and he's with us, it feels like we've lost so much of him and his personality and his ability to convey his personality. And my dad has such a big, strong personality. Such a big personality. (laughs) That it's just like, it's jarring. Mm -hmm. It might have to do with, I think, a couple days before that. And my daughter found in her room a book that I had given my parents when we found out that we were pregnant, that you can record yourself reading. And my mom and dad recorded themselves reading it to her when they came down to meet her when she was first born. And she opened the book and it started playing my dad's voice reading to her. And I was like, "Uh Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh-oh, this... So if you're a listener that's not aware, my dad's current diagnosis, the most severe manifestation of symptoms is his inability to speak. And my dad has been a musician his whole life. He has a radio voice. He has the kind of voice that makes babies stop and turn towards him and smile. You know, like he just, his his voice is a really big part yeah. of his personality. And he's funny and he's charismatic and he uses his voice well. So it's like for that to have been taken from him is just still a hard pill to swallow. And I haven't been doing a great job of fully stepping into that. Like I've, yeah. I have acknowledged out loud verbally that this is a big deal and this is hard and this is difficult and I need to mourn it, but like I'm not taking the time to cry it out. And it just hit me like 
a prize fighter this week. And yeah, it just, it rocked me a little bit. Well, do I have an episode for you? <laughs> <laughs> Go on. Um, you'll just have to hear my boom and bust first. Yes. Okay. Let's do that. Let's do that. Okay. I've talked for more than enough time here. My boom is simply that I made the quote, right muffin. <laughs> um. <laughs> it's like when my boom was that she ate dinner like mm-hmm. yeah that's a very very relatable boom right there I'm doing everything I can to I don't know give her some more nutrient dense meals food something and she sniffs the nutrient dense part out and it's like <laughs> nonsense I want none of this where are my nuggies mommy yeah that <laughs> has a vegetable in it you go f yourself so I've tried over the last few weeks to make a variety of different muffins like one every week last week I was unsuccessful and every time that daycare gave her the muffin she was like no I want the right muffin and so I made a muffin she's never had this muffin but is the right one she's eating them so thank you <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, I'm also living for her positive reinforcement. She's giving me so much good praise and she says, good job, mommy. Oh, you did a willy willy great job, mom. Oh. <laughs> and it's like, oh my God, shut I up. won the best award. Yeah. I could have won a Grammy, Emmy, whatever those things Oscar, are. Oscar, all of yeah, it. All, all of it. it in one. I'm an EGOT. Oh, is that the, is that the yeah. acronym for, okay. <laughs> yes. I didn't ever put that together before this moment, but okay. that's great to know. As a film major, that's a little embarrassing. Yeah, but that's, that's very embarrassing. Fine. Um, yes. So you're welcome. Save your applause for later. Thank you. <laughs> my bust, I have two. One is that I am either building my immune system or burning a hole in my gut with all of the things that I'm doing to try to not let whatever I'm feeling turn into an actual illness. So she has come down or is coming down with something and I have been on the brink of it. And I said, nope, not today. So what have I done? I'm doing ginger shots. I'm doing elderberry syrup. I'm doing vitamins. I'm doing tea. I'm doing turmeric shots. I'm doing garlic and honey. And I'm just (laughs) burning acidic things straight through my body. (laughs) Now I will say that I do think it's slowing the progression of what I have going on. So something, I could be onto something. I'll let you know in a week or so next time we record. Okay. If I have no voice. Next appropriate for this episode is that tomorrow, although by the time this airs, it'll be a few weeks past, but in real time, tomorrow marks 18 years since my mom passed away. Holy shit. I know. 18 years. 18. Is, it's a long time. It's not possible because we are 17 right now. I know so. that. I know. So I don't understand how time works years. because it is an illusion. <laughs> Yeah, 100%. This is the perfect example of it. Please go back and listen to F Clocks. Time is an illusion. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so anyway, there's just, it's just a lot of depth, a lot of feelings, obviously. And as anyone who's ever experienced grief, which, <laughs> spoiler alert, we all will, <laughs> you know, it's not linear. It's not clean. It's no. messy and it's swirly and it's one of life's hardest lessons for me personally. So it's just a fragile time of year and I'm just letting whatever it is be and you just never know when the grief will hit like you were saying you were having an actually a fairly good day and then bam out of nowhere yeah definitely definitely a great episode for both of us right now but what I like about it is that we have agreed that this is a topic that we could continually come back to oh yeah um I think we could do just a whole episode on what you just divulged which is that you are now a mom without a mom right? That's a whole, that's a whole thing right there. That's a whole genre. That's at least one episode. (laughs) At least. And then we have since then experienced a lot more grief too, and more recent grief. And Mm -hmm. especially when you, you have shared that you have super recent grief. And I just finished saying that we're going through it right now as an entire family, very slowly. And for hopefully a prolonged amount of time, right? (laughs) Like it's, it's just no matter how you slice it, it's not good. Right. So, so this is something I, I feel strongly about coming back to, and I like that we're going to start today with an article 
article that somebody else wrote with somebody else, not even anybody else's specific story, but just more of like a broad general, here are some kind of universal truths about experiencing grief as a parent and a little bit of advice to go with it. Not from us because we are looking for the advice. So this is to (laughs) us. And hopefully if you're listening and in a similar boat, maybe it will also do something for you. But I can't believe it's been 18 years. I can't believe a lot of things. I know. And we're just going to have to try to keep on keeping on. Yeah. And just just do the damn thing. But yeah, I think first it's time for an ad break. Are you pretty sure you would love wakes, funerals, candlelight vigils, and other terribly sad public gatherings if you could just find someone to crack a perfectly executed joke at the worst possible moment? Oh my god, yes! It's like, yeah, we're all sad, but do we have to be like sad sad? Right? We here at Not Another Momcast have just the product for you. For a nominal fee, you could rent your very own inappropriate friend. What? Tell me more. How does this work? Well, Deborah, peruse through a database of soon-to-be thousands, but currently two extremely dark friends with wildly inappropriate senses of humor who will absolutely lighten any mood to the point of almost getting you kicked out of that venue that you're attending. Wow. Well, that sounds just great. I've always felt like the one thing missing from all of my group grieving experiences was an ill-timed, hilarious, and true comment about the deceased and a bunch of side-eyes from all the other mourners. Well, thanks to Not Another Momcast, you'll never have to mourn in a socially acceptable way again. Thanks, Not Another Momcast. (laughs) (laughs) Tonight's article is Grieving While Parenting, Eight Tips for Juggling Heartbreak, Loss, and Raising Children. It's written by Yolanda Clark Jackson, published April 29th, 2022 on care.com. Okay, so the article is broken into a couple different paragraphs. We kind of just went through and picked like a really relevant quote or kind of summary quote from each paragraph. So the article starts off with the doctor. Mikkel S. Harris, a licensed psychologist from Memphis, Tennessee. All right, so a lot of the quotes are kind of coming from that Dr. Harris, who in the first paragraph says, Grief for parents means trying to meet competing demands as you try to find balance with a deregulated nervous system and the responsibility of trying to function within a family. So, I kind of honed in on that to begin with, and I'm sure they opened with that to begin with, because that right there sets the groundwork for why it is so difficult, truly, to grieve and feel grief when you are a parent, especially of young children, but I think of any age child, really. Yeah. Because to be experiencing grief is such a shock to the system, it is deregulating to your nervous system, literally, physically in your body. But you are still required to be very, very, very actively participating in the guidance of this other life, you know? Yeah. And you're supposed to be a safe place and a secure place and a stable place, right? So this is hard. I have a question. Oh, okay. Yeah. What do you have to say about that? I would love to answer that question. (laughs) Um, I think that keeping things normal for your kids is a tricky thing, especially while experiencing grief or loss or whatever traumatic event you're going through. And I don't necessarily think that you have to keep things normal, but you do have to keep a sense of normalcy and routine. And depending on the kid's age, right, it can be an extremely challenging task. Yeah. To keep up with those structures and routines on the day-to-day basis when all you want to do is curl up in a ball. Yeah, like I said, I can imagine that parenting any age child comes with a reason that it's difficult. Mm -hmm. We can only right now speak to having very, very young children 
in that first plane of development where you are responsible for creating all of the routine in their lives. You are responsible for making it all come together in a cohesive and respectful way. And you are now modeling for them how to be emotionally regulated. Like you are teaching skills right now that you're not so actively teaching later with slightly older kids at a time where you feel so compromised and so unhinged and unraveled. And I just feel like with the younger kids, it's so important to be all of those things. So I don't know if that's why this feels so especially impossible I know to do right now to fully grieve. I mean, at least that's how I think that's what I was realizing about myself is that I'm not fully stepping into it. I don't know how much of that is just the way my personality is, honestly, and Mm -hmm. you know, you know me, but also feeling like I can't, feeling like I really honestly can't right now because somebody else needs me too much. Well, and I think there's an aspect of it that when you know that you're going to lean into it, it's going to be a really consuming process. And so those routines for you and those structures for you and those norms for you and your family, they might get a little wobbly for a few moments while you were diving deep into that. And I think you're like, I'm not ready for that right now because I got to keep this going as long as I can because it's going to hit you and it's inevitable. And when it does, you don't know what that looks like right now. Definitely. And I think that might lead us nicely into the next paragraph where the main takeaway quote for me there is a sudden loss leaves a person unprepared emotionally, physically, and spiritually and can overload emotional, mental, and spiritual systems all at once. So I think to that point, you're right that I know in the back of my head that once I start that overloading, like truly letting the system get overloaded with those emotions, Mm -hmm. it, I think what scares me about it is the lack of control over the process. You have no control over the grief process. Laura, you don't. I'm really sorry. Go back and find the episode with our husbands, but we ask, what's the best part? What's the worst part? And I'm pretty sure my husband's hardest thing about being with me is my need to control so many different elements of my life. And that comes from a feeling of not being in control, right? Feeling like forever, I have just not been in control. So like whatever I do think I can control, I'm going to control the shit out of it. Like I'm going to be perfect about it. And grief is not one of those things. No, but right now you can kind of control not diving into it. So you're holding on to that as long as you can. You're right. That's my way of exerting control. However, not super healthy, not a good long-term idea. No, because we'll talk about this a little later when it comes to externalizing and internalizing. (laughs) You can't do that. (laughs) You can't internalize it. I mean, you can. It's just not going to end well for you. But we'll get into that later. Can I share something? Yeah. So in that same section, she had talked about meeting competing demands, right? So there's the demand of being a parent, a present, engaged parent. And then there's the demand of starting this grieving process. And both of those things together feels almost impossible to manage, especially if you lost someone or are at the start of your grieving process. The feelings of grief are so strong and so powerful that the current of it all can just pull you out to sea before you even realize how far you are and to keep it reined in as best you can because you have a sick child or a bedtime routine you have to get through or you have a fussy baby. You are beyond maxed out. Absolutely. And in this article, they reference a couple other moms who experienced, you know, super traumatic losses while actively being parents. And they share a little bit about their experience. And one of them said something, it really resonated with me. She said, I didn't seek grief counseling after the loss that she experienced, because I thought with time, like everyone says, it would get easier. I truly believed I could handle my darkness on my own. Everybody does. Yeah. And I was like, oh shit, called out because how many times have we talked recently that you've been like, did you find a therapist yet? And I'm like, it's on a list. It's on my list. It's on the list every week. It's at the top of the list and just doesn't get tended to. 
because I think in my mind, I'm like, it's not super critical. It'd be nice to do, but it's not super critical because I'm in control of it right now. Like I'm okay. I can do this. You know, like I'm doing the same thing. Well, that's what I'm I'm also wondering if a little bit subconsciously back there, your brain, this is turning into not the episode we expected, but (laughs) here we are. It's really fun. Um, I wonder if a little part of you is like, not making that a priority because you know when you start working with somebody around this, you have to go into it and you're still not quite wanting to get into it yet. So it still comes back to me. Controlling. Trying to control a situation that that I know inevitably is out of my control. You know what they say, (laughs) Laura, the controller. (laughs) I once again want to remind you that I edit these episodes, so... You best come correct. So um, just in general, though, like talking about the whole not seeking professional help because everyone says it gets better with time, right? Like there is no right or wrong. There is no rule book for handling your grief. You don't have to seek professional help. But I do think there's something to be said for having an outside perspective, support and guide you because grief is so complicated in and of itself. And there's also a professional diagnosis of complicated grief, which is the reality of too many people out there who experience a loss and then are unable to care for themselves and meet their own needs and aren't able to process or work through the grief. And over time, that can lead to complicated grief. So that's an actual diagnosis. It's an actual diagnosis. I think I'm not like a doctor, but now here's a little fun fact for you all. I was a sociology major in college undergrad, and I did focus on end of life care because I did go very darksy dark. And a lot of those classes obviously talked about death and dying and grief. And I did learn about complicated grief. I remember that time very vividly in your life. I loved that time for you because I feel like you went on like an academic binge Mm -hmm. on how to deal with and treat and process grief because you were hoping to apply it to a career someday, right? As a counselor or whatever it was that you were going to do exactly at that point. I don't even know if you knew, but what was clear as day to me was that it was really just helping you get through I mean, by the time you were taking those classes, you were maybe two years out of the loss of your mom. Yeah. And I feel like when you started going down that rabbit hole, you started having some really honest and necessary conversations with yourself and family members and just started that process for real. I did. Now, going back to, as I said in my bust, I lost my mom when I was 16 years old. And at the time... Speaking of getting professional help, my dad really encouraged and wanted me to get some counseling. And I wasn't opposed to counseling, but I was like, well, I'm not going because of this. And he was like, sure, (laughs) whatever it is that gets you through the door. (laughs) Yeah. And I resisted for a little while. And then finally, I had some issues with a friend. (laughs) And I was like, well, I'm not going to talk about mom, but I will talk about my friend. Now I see that I wasn't ready to come to terms and accept it and talk through it, but I did get through those counseling doors and look at me now. (laughs) Yeah. I'm messed up. (laughs) (laughs) Well, here's the thing. Yeah, you're messed up. We're all messed up. What I love about your particular breed of messed up (laughs) is that you've decided to take that mess and turn it into good and helpfulness to others. Thank you. Where it could have completely consumed you and defined you and just, it just could have gone so differently. And I think one of the things that has been beautiful from this topic in our lives is that it has really shaped the professional adult and mom and everything that you are now. Oh, 100%. Yeah, we'll definitely have to do an episode on that entirely. Yeah. You had said that me in those college years with the death and dying stuff really opened up some good conversations. And I think that was a tremendous help in working through my journey with my father because he was around and he was having these conversations with me and we were in it together talking about the same things and same but different and our experiences and our thoughts. And yeah, that just opened up a lot of really positive conversation. Well, as positive as it can get with the topic. Well, that's why I'll say necessary conversation. Exactly. Necessary. 
Thank you. Not necessarily enjoyable and happy conversation. Not happy, but kind of enjoyable, if I'm honest. You know what? Yeah. In its own way, because of the purpose it's serving. Yeah. Totally. Absolutely. So yeah. Okay. So to move on from there, it is important to seek help at some point, or it can be for a lot of people to seek help because of exactly what you're talking about, that there are levels of grief that are no longer manageable on your own. Mm -hmm. And then they go on to say that grieving parents need to make time to care for themselves and to get that support. And that this can be difficult when you have children at home. One of the mothers who shared about her loss in the article says that her biggest challenge was finding alone time to process the loss that she was going through. For a mom or dad who is grieving, I recommend that they take the steps to tend to their own grief says Dr. Harris, you can't pour into someone else's cup until you fill your own cup, which is an expression I've heard a thousand times. I've used a thousand times. And yet here I am trying to find the perfect alone time that's conducive and ideal for processing big emotions. And again, everybody knows as a parent, especially a parent with young kids, alone time yeah. You're either unconscious and asleep because you're so <laughs> tired or you're with them. Like there's not yeah. there's not like hours in your day to process feelings that you feel like you need to be alone for. No, but I joked about this in one of our other episodes. I when I just went through the loss in May, it really was nap times. Like <laughs> I hope she naps today because I really need to have a little bit of an emotional breakdown. Yeah. And then it was like, okay, gather yourself together. She's up. Yeah. Breakdown over. Move on with those routines. Yeah. But about the quote that you just said, wanting to hide the depth of your pain so that your kids have a chance at happiness or not wanting them to worry about you or making them feel unsafe or unstable, right? Because their norms and routines are not always able to be followed the way that you normally would. And especially for young kids, that can leave them feeling a little bit shaky because they have this solid foundation and it's so predictable. And when that predictability fumbles a little bit, it can leave them feeling a little bit unstable. That's exactly what I was trying to articulate earlier with it feeling so important with young children that you have to be regulated and that grief is a time of deregulation because like what you're saying, it boils down to them feeling safe and stable, which is so much on you right now. So much on you. And finding the balance though, between talking about your mental health and emotions and not wanting to like unintentionally instill your worry and anxiety and sadness in them. Yeah. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. There's definitely a line between healthy dialogue there and unhealthy dialogue there. I do know what you mean. I've seen it play out in both ways, in healthy ways and unhealthy ways, and it's it's a fine line. It is a fine line, and I think that it is sometimes hard to know what is age-appropriate or developmentally appropriate. Yeah, it definitely can be. Like, how do you know if you've gone too far? Well, yes, because I'm thinking about this, right? And in my experience, when I lost my godfather in May, I was weeping. I was inconsolable. I was crying all the time to the point where my daughter was looking at me saying, mommy's sad, mommy's crying. And I was like, I'm okay with that. Yes, I am sad. I am crying. But then it got to the point where, you know, she's a little on repeat thing all the time. So she sees it one time, she's going to repeat it for four months. So then it got to the point where if I would pick her up from daycare and I was fine and happy, but her repetition of mommy's sad, mommy's crying made me feel like, uh uh-oh, should I not have let you see me upset? Right. Like just the fact that she was processing that yeah, as much as she was. Over. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, did I do harm here? Exactly. Well, so that I think brings us perfectly to the eight tips for coping with grief as a parent. So the first one is share grief with your child in age-appropriate ways. And that's just boiling down to not feeling like you have to hide it. So I think what you just said was perfect. Again, I because of where she is developmentally, she is going to be, you know, mm-hmm. on repeat. But it was super important that you start off with a foundation of we all have these emotions and we're all allowed to feel them and they come to the surface. Yeah. That happens because 
that's definitely a thing that especially toddlers feel all the time. They're sad and they're crying. <laughs> oh, yes. I don't know that they see anybody else do it as much as they do, you know, so like <laughs> it can be important to share that. And then as they get older, having more of a conversation, conversation like I miss so-and-so, my heart is sad, you know. Yeah. And not being scared to talk about it, especially if you do have older kids. Yeah. And I think especially if they come to you wanting to talk about it, because I think a lot of times parents feel like they need to pivot hard on those conversations and like cheer someone up and distract them. I think that's a twofold feeling is you need to hide your emotions and you need to make sure that their big emotions or sad emotions are not too long lived, you know, that you can make them feel better, make them go away. And that's not always actually super helpful. True that. So like letting everybody be allowed to feel their grief is important. Mm -hmm. The number two one, externalize your grief. So cry when you need to cry, damn it. Yes. Okay. I had a professor during that time that said that grief needs to be tended to like you would care for the potential for frozen pipes, right? You have to let it drip drop a little at a time. If not, then it all gets blocked up and the inevitable release is going to be too big, too messy, too damaging. And that has stuck with me since I heard it. That's a great metaphor. I know. For explaining how that buildup of pressure in the system yeah. can end up with like catastrophic results. Damage. Yeah, damage. Yeah. I love that. Okay. Number three, leave it on the page. Journaling. I love it. That's a great way to do it if you happen to be someone that likes to write. I also think this is a great way to include your kids or other family members in the process. Like you would invite them to do it together with you? I mean, no, that feels like a little weird, like a little journaling circle. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, but this is another way that your kids could process their grief or externalize their grief. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Making that option just available to them, whether you do it together or not. Yeah. Yeah. Although I will say I've had a student that a part of her daily routine was to sit down when she had a younger sister and her mom and they all had like a little daily journal and they would sit together at some point between dinner and bedtime and write in their journals and just have like quiet journal time and they all did do that at the same time Mm. but it was like a family routine to sit down and write about your day in your journal sweet there was no requirement right so if like the first grader wrote a sentence and got up and walked away that was fine if the third grader wrote a diatribe about all the drama that was great too but like they all did it together. And so if you set a routine like that, then I could definitely see that being a super, super productive way to then work through hard things for the whole family. Yeah. Love it. Move on. Okay. Number four, (laughs) take care of your mind. And in this, they were meaning specifically about meditation and mindfulness techniques. Okay, I'm on board with this because it is easy to get stuck on those spiraling thoughts and taking care of your mind and working to stay present, I think is really challenging, but really beneficial. Now, I also know that meditation and mindfulness is really not for everybody. So don't think about it in the, I don't know, traditional sense that one would normally bring this up, like maybe finding something that is meditative to you. So is that going for a walk? Is it gardening? Is it sitting and listening to your favorite music, right? Like something that just gets you in a calm, meditative, present state of mind could be really beneficial. I think the keywords there are calm, present state of mind because they do specify in that article, there's a link for practicing mindfulness techniques and it says techniques to keep you in the present moment instead of worrying about the future and thinking about the past. Mm -hmm. So we get it if you're not big into like yogi meditation style stuff, but just whatever you need to do, whatever it looks like for you to be able to just put it all down for a minute, Yeah, you know, like to not be spiraling about what has happened that's out of your control or what might happen that's out of your control and just be right here right now. That's all mindfulness means. It has such like this woo, taboo, crunchy, hippie vibe and connotation to it, but it's really very practical. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. So that was number four was mind. Number five is body. Stay active. So basically being active, moving your bodies intentionally can actually release tension that you carry. And it also very literally releases endorphins back into your system. 
Love it. The body keeps score, right? Your body holds on to trauma. So moving is so important and helpful. And I say this and it can be really difficult, especially if you're depressed because it's that vicious cycle of needing to move to feel better and feeling so low, you're unmotivated to move. Mm. So I know a lot of these things, they're easier to say, especially when you're not the one going through it in those moments. But if you find those small ounces of motivation, do it. Take advantage of it. Yeah, that's one that I have figured out really is super crucial for me. In fact, I think when I had my breakdown about my dad the other day, it was in the middle of a workout. Mm-hmm. I think I did say that. So like, I think I was forcing out a release physically in my system. And then the last episode, I shared that I'd had a really infuriating day with all the social media stuff. And on that day, I think I did an hour and a half long workout. Yeah. Like I did a crazy long workout <laughs> because did. I was like, I need to get this rage out of my system. And I just need to feel that quick endorphin rush at the end of yeah. a good workout because I do know that that's effective for me. But there have been countless times where I could not get up and get out of my own way to go do it, even though I knew it would help and I would feel better. Same. So it is a tough one. But I do want to point out, so we're reading eight different things right now. You don't have to do all eight of these things. In fact, that's really overwhelming and unmanageable if you are in it right now. But you could try one. So moving on from exercise, because that is a hot button topic. We'll turn to number six, which is prayer. So this can be a tricky one because not everybody belongs to a religion or an organized religion. I myself struggle. Mm -hmm. Same. But I do believe in a higher power and something greater than me. Yeah. Whether or not it's like a dude in a robe with a beard with a specific (laughs) plan for my life, I don't know. Maybe because I was raised Catholic, which we've mentioned because we've done a lot of talking about nuns on the show. (laughs) I do find myself, though, turning to prayer. Mm -hmm. On that day that I was really upset about my dad, I, without even thinking, caught myself saying, please, God, let him heal. You know, like, I'm not even sure who I'm talking to. Yeah. But I know that I'm offering up to somebody a plea for some support, some peace, some something, you know? I do think that sometimes it's comforting to turn to the idea of something bigger than you, whatever that is. Yeah. And and again, number six might not be for a lot of people. Okay. Number seven, practice self-care, which is a major eye roll. But if you do read that little paragraph underneath, it does say literally just make sure that you are caring for yourself in the most basic way. Like you are eating, you are drinking and hydrating appropriately, and you are getting sleep because... I think back to that other point of you cannot serve anybody else if you are a piece of human garbage. Yeah. Again, sounds so simple and so easy because you just do it without even thinking on a regular basis, but can be so hard to actually implement when you are going through it. Yeah. Because sometimes grief has a very numbing Mm -hmm. effect and then you literally don't feel hungry or thirsty and you can forget that those are things you need to do. Or you feel nauseous. Yeah. And you can't keep anything down. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, a hard one, but necessary. And then number eight, seek support. And this can look different for everybody. In this article, it does say that, you know, there are support groups of all types out there. You can even attend them online. I think it also is saying it could be professional, but it could be just anybody, any supportive person in your life. Yeah. It even goes on to say you could just have like a once a month situation where someone comes and cares for the kids Mm -hmm. and out with your partner and like have a dedicated conversation time that isn't well after bedtime when you're both already like dead tired, you know? Yeah. Or somebody bringing you a meal. Yeah. And just taking one thing off of your plate for a minute. Yeah. Or putting something on your plate. (laughs) (laughs) Mom jokes. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. So yeah, so that's all eight of them. Oh, and then there is a little note about when you really should turn to a professional. So Dr. Harris says, isolation, a significant decrease in the ability to do everyday tasks for an extended period of time, thoughts of self-harm, or turning to unhealthy coping mechanisms like drugs and alcohol to numb the pain of loss are all signs that you should seek professional help. 
contact a healthcare professional near you if you're experiencing any of these symptoms. And we obviously agree and recommend. And co-sign. Co- right, we're co-signing it. Thank you. Because we're super cool and hip. Trendy. Okay, well, that was so fun. Is that what you expected it to be? No, no. It was a little bit more personal than I expected it to be without getting into like the details of every single thing that I'm feeling and like processing. It was interesting how much of Mm -hmm. it I did feel like resonated with my experience or my refusal to experience it right now. That's why we did the little disclaimer in the beginning is it's really hard, especially when you've been through loss, you've been through grief, you're going through it. It is really hard to not connect your own experiences to those of others. Yeah. Here we are. It is. You're right. Okay. So should we wrap it? Yeah, let's wrap it. Let's wrap it. All right. Let's lighten things up. It's time for the brain dump. Well, I'll start. Can I start? Yeah, you start. All right. I don't have a lot for today, but I will say that once again, I have been thinking a lot about the butterfly effect lately Mm -hmm. in terms of just doing that thing where I play like the I wonder if or like what if in this grade I realized this about myself. A lot of a lot of wondering what would happen if I realized sooner in my life that I was enough, that I was worthy. Um. You know? Very sad, yes. Right. Well, yeah, it's sad and all, but also like, I don't know. It keeps coming back to, now that I'm a parent, it keeps coming back to any number of things could have led me to a very different scenario where she was not my kid. Right. It's possible I could have had different kids, but like, I want her. I know. So this adds a whole new element to my butterfly effect spirals. Yes. No matter what, you needed it to be her. So like... I'm glad I didn't realize the shit earlier. Even if other things were a mistake, I don't care because it still got me her. Exactly. Exactly. Or even just, even if it wasn't a complete change of my life path, but just that we had decided as a couple to have kids earlier. Mm-hmm. Would it be her? But would it be her? Probably not because no, it wouldn't have been not. that egg. You know what I mean? Like it's all very- Oh my God. Woo-woo. But it had to be- Exactly the way that it was. Okay. Keep going. I also want to just ask real quick if you know anything about, if you are as curious as I am to know about the origins of some of my favorite compliments out there, and they include the cat's pajamas. I've never heard that. You've never heard someone be called or call you the cat's pajamas? You're the cat's pajamas? No, dude. No. Really? Who's saying that? (laughs) Well, I'm going to bring it back because I love that expression. Really? Have you ever heard, have you heard cat's meow? Yes. That one makes a little more sense than cat's pajamas, but still, like how did that get to be a compliment? Like, wow, that's the cat's meow. Why is that a compliment? (laughs) And then my last one is the bee's knees. Yeah, I've heard that one. Love that. I use that one. But where, why? Why is that? A thing you want to be or do or check out. Bee knees. Bees knees. How cute are their little knees though? Oh, they're probably so cute. All fuzzy and furry. Not jointed, right? Yeah, they have little. They have little joints? They have little joints. They have knees. I don't think you can have a knee if you don't have a joint. A knee is a joint. (laughs) Probably not a cap. Okay. No, I want to know. Okay. Okay. Oh my God. Yeah. Because what if you find a cute little picture of a little bee- beanie and a little <laughs> beanie, beanie cat? cat. <laughs> yeah. Can you draw Be- one up for me? Absolutely. Yes. Excellent. Yeah, for sure. Although, okay. yeah, that would be a tricky one. <laughs> okay. That is literally it for me today. So That you- was pretty good. That was pretty good for you thinking you had nothing good. Okay. So mine, I don't remember what I have, but I do have some things that she is saying that I just get a kick out of. So the other morning she was playing with my hair and she said, I love your hair, mom. Let's pull it out. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good sign. That's a good sign. Yeah. The next one, she pats the couch next to her and she says, want to come shit on the couch, mom? not laugh that hard, but I am a child. (laughs) I know. And last she said, Dad, do you have a butt? (laughs) (laughs) He sure does. 
I can't get into that one, but at some point I will. He'll be really mad at me. <laughs> um, the next one I have is, you know the song, <laughs> you know the song, Should I Try to Humble Jam It? <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> London Bridge. Okay, I'm sorry. What is it? London Bridge is falling Thank down. Thank you. Stop your mouth because I'm wondering, is it London Bridge is or is it London Bridges? I think it's supposed to be London Bridge is. It's one bridge falling down. Don't know. I heard one that almost made it sound like it was all of the bridges. <laughs> <laughs> also, though, why would the next logical course of action be to take the key and lock her up? I don't know the words of the song. <laughs> oh, that's the next part. Take the key and lock her up. Lock her oh up. Oh my God. Lock her up. Dude, we should write a kid's song. <laughs> yeah, we should. Um, okay, next. Using buttery to describe the softness of something is both delightful and a little bit upsetting for me. <laughs> Do you think that there are people out there that can actually read minds? And are we worried about that? <laughs> Are we worried about it? Um, you don't have to answer that. Okay. I will just go with my last one. This is appropriate for this episode. I saw on TikTok once that when you die, there's like a meeting and you have to sit through almost like a PowerPoint presentation of your whole life. And they replay all of the things that you've done and said and the things that other people have said about you. And I really hope that's not true. And if it is, can we negotiate different terms? Can you just send me straight to hell, please? <laughs> Does that scare you? It should. Oh, I don't believe I don't believe that. But you don't believe it? No, I don't believe that you die and you have to sit through a PowerPoint presentation of your life with everything that you said and did. Well, it's not necessarily a PowerPoint. And that you would have access to what everybody else says. I've heard of the idea of like your life flashes before your eyes. So I could see that part, at least like this most significant moments of it all kind of coming flooding back. That's fine. But everybody else's opinions of you, how would you how, like how long would that process even take? Do you know how many people have had an opinion about you so far yes, in your dude, life? It's a long time. And also we don't know what time looks like on that side of things. Yeah. And I guess like you don't have anywhere to go because yeah. <laughs> you're dead. <laughs> and it's a process to decide like well what are we going to do with you like do we send you here do we send you there like what are you signing up for next so really they're they're just buying themselves time by mm -hmm. playing you all that bullshit <laughs> yeah as they're like in a separate room like so what do we do with her like so here's a question she though good? Is she bad? <laughs> if they're doing that do we have feelings because my feelings will be hurt yeah i don't know do you even care about that shit anymore because isn't that kind of one of those parts that i enjoy about those like uh, what are those called? Near-death experiences mm -hmm. is that you get washed over with this white light. And even though you're experiencing all these things, like everything's super chill, like everything's really cool. Okay. With you. I could do that. Now, here's another question, right? So if we do like reincarnate or come back or re-come back, <laughs> um, that means they have to men in black it and erase all of your memory. Well, and I guess sometimes they There's mess glitches. Up. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes they don't do a good job with the zoop, 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 men in black light because men in black light <laughs> because sometimes you get those kids that are like, I was a pilot in World War II and my wife's name was Susan and we had a dog named Floppy and like all of this shit turns out to be true and verifiable and there's no yeah. way, no way the kid could have known. that They were overbooked that day. I guess. One slipped through the cracks. Yeah. So anyway, that's all I have. Okay. Well, well I like it. Thank you so much. Okay. Well, thank you for listening to Not Another Momcast. You can find us on Instagram at Not Another Momcast or email us at notanothermomcast at gmail.com. However you listen, if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, review, keep referring those friends. We'd love to hear from you. Ready? And a one, and a two, and a three. Okay, bye. bye. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Olivia.